Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I'm going to sit down, record a solo episode. Um, also, you can find this episode on YouTube. We started a couple new channels, Eastman's Elevated, Eastman's Flycast. Um, so as it allows, I'm going to try to record more of these episodes and put out some video component to it. So... Uh, you can find this one on YouTube. It's a solo. I'll be filming it, and then we'll have it up on that YouTube channel. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors real quick before I get started. I want to thank Mountain Archery Fest. Uh, so I just got done doing a podcast with Brandon Waddell, and, and he's great. He's been putting on these events and evolving them the last few years. And I truly believe there's no better practice out there for season than shooting these 3D shoots. Uh, shooting actual 3D targets. Uh, uh, shooting in the mountains, uphill, downhill angles, got to make sure your third axis is adjusted. And then also that shooting around other people and putting pressure on yourself. Uh, they also have a competition phase. And then Saturday, they do a shootout with the top five scores. So you talk about a lot of pressure, like shooting in front, uh, uh, four other really good shooters, and then a bunch of people watching. And he just puts on a great event that, that's a whole festival. Uh, this year, Eastman's has evolved. We've got Eastman's movie night. They're actually going to be showing one of my uh, mule deer hunts from this season. Uh, they're also going to show Imperial, that mule deer film that Eastman's put out. Just this awesome compiled footage of uh, the living legends and, and where they live, where they reside, summer routes, and just um, it, a lot to do with conservation of mule deer and protecting these this species that we love so much. So Eastman's is really involved in Mountain Archery Fest. They've got multiple events this year. So they've got um, one in Durango, June 11th to June 13th. One in Utah, in Beaver, Utah, June 25th through 27th. Uh, Utah Huntsville, uh, July 23rd and 25th. And they also just got one approved for Lookout Pass in Idaho. And uh, you'll have to go on the website and check out the exact dates on that one. So you can go on at mountainarcheryfest.com. Uh, we also have a promo code. So if you put in Elevated21 at checkout, you'll receive 10% off. So uh, it's just a, an absolute awesome way to sharpen your skills before season. And I'm going to make sure that I hit at least one of these shoots, if not a couple of them. So... Um, thanks to Mountain Archery Fest. Uh, with that, let's get into this solo podcast. Been a while since I've done these. I, I have to remember how every time. Uh, but uh, pretty much just write down some ideas and some thoughts. And, you know, really what I'm trying to give you guys is pertinent information that has to do with right now. You, know, you guys know that I live that bow hunting lifestyle 365. And I'm constantly trying to work on my game and improve my game and and pay my dues, you know, so I give myself a chance at success this season. And so uh, just wrote down some ideas. I want to go through, you know, what I'm working on now, um, kind of some ideas, theories I have. And then I want to get into spring bear season. Uh, we're right on the cusp of spring bear season opening up. Uh, I'm super excited. I mean, um, to chase these bears with my bow is so thrilling. And uh, But it can seem like a bit of a black magic for bears. There's less bears than ungulates, and so they can be difficult to find and difficult to dial in. So I want to try to give you guys the pertinent information so you can go out and have an adventure this spring chasing around black bears. So what I'm working on right now. 
Man, it's um, you know, it's kind of our off season as far as bow hunters. Is there's not many hunts going on. We kind of finish up all those late season hunts, and and really this time's necessary to, you know, improve our skill set. Like it, it's tough to improve your skill set during season. Um, sure, you get uh your your fitness dialed in, and and you get your stocks, and you get in kind of the routine of backcountry hunting, um, but you know, to, to improve that skill set, like to improve your base of cardiovascular or to put in those, those hours, tens of hours, hundreds of hours scouting and researching and then applying for these hunts. Like right now is when we create all these hunts for the fall. And, and it comes from, you know, uh, uh, putting our name in the hats of these different states and, and trying to figure out, you know, which, which of these hunts fits, you know, our style, the country we like to hunt, good game populations, and, and opportunity. And, and really when I'm applying for these states, so I'm doing a ton of research this time of year. Uh, living on my Onyx app, uh, living on my computer, and, and really studying through all the different draw odds, success odds, uh, and then the country itself. And um, that Tag Hub is a great research for that. I use that a ton. Uh, and they keep evolving that program as well. But um, getting my apps in, in in every state, I've only got a couple states left here to apply for. But, um, you know, basically when I'm looking at these states and these opportunities, uh, you know, I, I'm looking, it's a multifaceted approach to it where I'm looking at state agencies websites I'm looking at the tag hub I'm looking at uh, Pope and Young Boone and Crockett uh, and also personal experience you know I have 20 years of traveling the west looking in these different units and hunting these different units and also talking to other hunters and networking as well you know that's a big part of it I've got a podcast coming up with Tony Treach and he's one of the best guys at networking and not that he's always looking for information he's looking to give information as well but he's looking at building this circle of friends that he can trust that he can call on and get information so like I know when we showed up uh, you know and you'll hear about it in the podcast but I went on an elk hunt uh, with my buddy Dan and um, we went down to Nevada to hunt this elk hunt well Tony had that same deer tag this year and so we really used each other back and forth to share information about elk and about deer. And I just remember showing up and talking to Tony. It's a great podcast, by the way, this one coming up with Tony. But uh, I remember talking with Tony and gosh, he was talking about he had talked to Jason Carter and he had talked to I mean, he had this list of about 10 guys he had talked to about this unit and their thoughts on that unit. And he really got some good insight. He had another local connection that uh, gave him the location of a big deer. And so you know, using these connections or these people we know or these circle of friends is important too. And and I know I have that with my buddies. Like, um, you know, uh, hunting locations, you always kind of hold them close to your chest because you take one guy and then he takes another buddy and pretty soon that spot's ruined. And so, you know, these public land spots, you got to be careful who you share information with and who you tell and who you take in there. Uh, but through the years, I've built this network of close buddies that I call my circle of friends. And, and those guys, I'm completely honest with. I'm honest with what I see, where I'm hunting, and vice versa. They're honest with me. And so, like, you take, for instance, hunting a location, like, say, my my elk spot, 
But I know three or four good dudes, uh, Dylan Ness and um, Dan Heverin, and then I had my Hawaii buddies out, and we're all honest with each other where we're hunting and what we're seeing. And so, you know, when I'm on a hunt like that, instead of just having the information that I have, that I gain in that unit, I have the information from four different or five different bros that we're all sharing information in there. And so, um, you know, I try hard not to step on anybody's toes. And if somebody finds a red hot spot, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not one to, to be on their heels or to, to post their spot. It's just to gain information and to gain knowledge. And same thing, you know, w- with putting in for these out-of-state tags. I've had multiple conversations about Colorado as the deadline is actually today to apply. And, um, you know, sure, I don't share my, my, my secret spot or, you know, the, the spot I'm going all the time or the unit I'm hunting, but I, I try to be real honest with these guys and, and, um, give them good information that's going to help put them in a good unit. So I think it's, um, it's having a network of guys you can trust in this circle of friends that you can kind of use that to gain information as well as doing your own research. And, uh, whenever I'm applying for a tag, I never apply it blindly. I never just look at the success odds at 40% with a bow and go, yep, that's me. Um, I try to take in everything. I try to look at the rifle success, muzzleloader success, bow success. Uh, and, and then I really want to fly this unit before I hunt it. And by fly it, I mean fly it on um, uh, aerial imagery or uh, topography and really get a layout of the mountains and how I'm going to hunt it. And and this is more instinctual or a feel for the country that you like to hunt. And I, I, I really try to mix it up. I mean, you guys know that I love the high country. Uh, I'm talking mule deer here. I love the high country. I, I love the breaks and badlands and foothills, things of that nature. Uh, I love the desert. Uh, I love the flats and also the desert mountains. And um, so, so I can really hunt... Uh, um, these, these um, different areas or, or different topography and, and hunt it well. But, you know, I want to know where the roads are, where the wildernesses are, uh, vantage points. And so really when I'm looking at applying for a unit, I'm really doing a fly over that unit. Uh, once the statistics and the odds kind of point me in that direction, you know, then I'm looking at how I'm going to hunt it. And for me, I'm such a spot and stock hunter that I have to be able to glass. So, you know, I got to find a way that I'm going to glass this terrain and I got to find places that are away from roads that I can get away from hunting pressure. And so, you know, I'm just trying to weigh all these things as I'm applying for these applications and put my name in a hat. And, you know, really, you know, there's good tags out there, but if you don't have the hunting skill to hunt these good tags, it's not going to do you any good. And what I mean by that is like, um, you know, you, you, you can't, just apply for the most premium unit in the in the Pontagon in Utah and think you're going to draw that tag and you're going to go in and kill a 200-incher. You might. There's great opportunity and great bucks there. But, you know, what I think is that you need to progress your hunting skill to a point that when you draw the Pontagon, you know, you've hunted mule deer in 10 different places for 10 different years. You've cut your teeth and got your experience of finding deer and finding the habitat they like and dialing them in so you can go into the Pontagon with confidence and know, you know, not only can you find a big deer, but you can identify a big deer and know that you have this this skill set to be able to stalk in close and give yourself a good chance at harvesting that deer when you draw that tag. Um, so I really hunt a mix and match in units. And, 
And I think more so than the unit, it comes down to your hunting skill. Uh, the majority of places that I harvest deer are easy to draw tags. A lot of them are over the counter. Uh, a lot of them are easy zero to two point units. Like I like places I can hunt. And, and really, there's nothing that there's nothing that replaces experience in country like you learn so much by hunting an area like you take for instance my best bull that I killed last year um you know I've hunted that unit six seven times so I've got this this wealth of knowledge or experience in that unit of what what the elk like where the elk reside uh and I've got different go-tos you know throughout the years I find you know spots and locations and drainages that have been really good to me and so I know I can return to those spots and how to glass those spots and how to hunt those spots. And I know I'm probably going to turn up some elk. So I like to mix and match spots that I know, spots that I've discovered, and, and also, you know, uh, uh, explore more in those areas. And then I like to also study up on my maps and come up with new areas of interest, new areas that I want to check out and then mix and match those areas. But, you know, it's not so much drawing a good unit in today's day and age. It's like having the hunting skill to go into these units and turn up these critters and give yourself a chance at success. Like I say, a lot of my best bulls and best bucks come from general unit hunts or low point units. And so it's not all about drawing that premium tag. Now, with my tag application, you know, it, it's also, you know, it, it's a process like where I have to decide which hunts I'm going to do at what times. And so, you know, there are states that I put in for these premium tags where, you know, it's kind of a long shot, but, you know, I've got a better chance in this other state to draw an easier to draw unit that I know. So this state's on the same timeline. I'm going to put in for the premium tag here. And so I really do a mix and match. Or you take elk for me, like I live in Montana. So, you know, I've got great elk hunting in Montana every year for an over-the-counter tag or an easy-to-draw tag. And then I also, you know, have Idaho just south of me that has great general season tags or Wyoming that's got great draw tags down and through there uh, and also has good general tags as well. And so, you know, I've got these states right around me that I, that I kind of elk hunt. So if I'm going to drive down to Utah or if I'm going to drive to Arizona or New Mexico, like I want a good chance at a trophy bull. I, I want a chance at a at a giant. You know, I want to go down and hunt big bulls. Uh, so I want this quality opportunity if I'm going to travel all the way down there. So for me and my application process, like New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, I put in for more premium elk tags and hope to draw one of those one of these years and then have the, my elk skill set to a place where I can go in and, and really set my sights high at a 350 bowl or a 375 bowl or whatever the case is. And so you kind of have to build your own drawing strategy, you know, and I'm also lucky that now, you know, I've structured my life where I get a ton of time. So I can apply for a bunch of these different hunts. And so for me, um, I usually get an antelope tag in Montana, and that's good enough for me. Um, you know, we have 80 inchers here in Montana. I haven't harvested any, but I, I have harvested a lot of nice 75 inchers. And, you know, antelope for me is just a fun hunt, and um, I like to shoot for those more mature, you know, 70 to 75 inch antelope and have fun doing that so for me i i don't really need to travel to any of these other states and look at their opportunities for antelope it's just not my deal it may be your deal or maybe you don't live in a good antelope state but for me every year i get a bow tag in montana for antelope for almost the entire state 
And, and really, if I'm going to put more effort into antelope, for me, it's not a matter of traveling to a different state. It's putting more effort in my home state. Like We have some great uh, antelope hunting, like on the eastern side of the state and these great places that I can hunt with my bow. So I, I just need to uh, make sure that I plan enough time to go to these places and put the effort into my antelope, you know, but that's me. So, so for me, I've got this love for mule deer and hunting mule deer. I love the high country game, love the desert game, foothill game. And so a lot of my season revolves around, or a lot of my applications revolve around mule deer. And so, you know, I put, um, uh, mule deer is a priority for me. Now elk may be a priority for you more so than mule deer, but for me, it's mule deer. And so, uh, I'm going to plan my season. I'm going to try to fit in an early hunt. So Nevada and um, Utah, Nevada's uh, August 10th, Utah's August 15th. So I try to work in an early hunt there in August. So a little bit more aggressive with my apps, trying to get a tag in August because I love hunting high country mule deer. And then I kind of go into the early September. And usually I don't start hunting elk until September 10th or so. It depends on the season and what I draw. So I've got time to fit in another mule deer hunt, another high country mule deer hunt. So um, places like Wyoming, places like Colorado, uh, places, uh, I was going to say Utah, I just said that. But, uh, the, you know, those places have a September 1st opener. This year, Colorado is September 2nd. So there I've got another time window where I can be pretty aggressive with my apps and try to draw one of those September time frames. Um, you know, and then and then I start hunting elk. And so my applications for elk are like September 10th to uh, October 18th, which is the end of Montana season or somewhere right around there. I don't have the regs in front of me, but... Um, so basically for about six weeks, five, six weeks, I'm going to be hunting elk and elk only, you know, unless I, uh, Montana, I do have a deer tag. So if I'm hunting elk and I see a deer, a uh, good one, you know, I can make a play on them. But um, so I focus my apps on that. And then I know that I've got, you know, an over the counter here in my home state of Montana and, and getting over the counter there in, in, in Idaho. So I can mix and match a couple different states. And then, you know, I've got applications out there to where if I do draw one of these premium New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, uh, I even consider Wyoming as a premium tag. If I draw one of those tags, uh, then I can put my effort into that tag and kind of shift around my Montana hunt and make it all work. Uh, then it comes into late season um, deer. I love hunting the rut. Tons of opportunities to hunt the rut. Uh, in Nevada, there's tags to hunt the rut. Utah, there's tags to hunt the rut. And actually, Utah, if you apply for their early season hunt, you can hunt their early season. And then uh, they have an extended archery season where you can hunt uh, about five or six different areas for mule deer during the rut with that same tag if you didn't fill out. Uh, I, I love to hunt Montana. I get an over-the-counter deer tag in Montana every year, so I put in for some premium hunts. If I don't draw, I know I've got that general season tag, and I, I love to hunt the rut with my bow. That's usually what I save my tag for. But if I don't draw an early season mule deer tag, again, I've got high country places in Montana that I've harvested good bucks that I can kind of shift a hunt in there and, and still hunt the high country for mule deer because, um, you know, I... Since 2007, I have hunted high country mule deer every single year. I just, uh, I find a way to make it happen because I love it so much. And and then we get into the November hunts and, 
um, or those those late rut hunts that I'm talking about. And, and then even later so, you know, there's the Arizona over-the-counter. They have January hunts. New Mexico deer hunts, they have hunts in January as well. Um, so try to apply and, and get my apps in for some of those late season hunts. So that's kind of my application process. Oh, and along with that, uh, I put in for a bunch of just premium tags. Like I, I've always wanted to hunt sheep and I, I've never had the opportunity to hunt desert or hunt Rocky mountain, bighorn or California bighorn, but me being a blue collar bow hunter, like it's my best opportunity to hunt sheep. Like I, I can't come up with 50,000 to hunt a desert sheep or, 30,000 to hunt a doll sheep or you know I guess if I prioritize anything's possible but it it doesn't seem responsible in this day and age to spend that much money on a hunt when I could do you know 20 mule deer high country mule deer hunts for that same price so for me it's it's just tough for me to come up with that kind of coin or that's just not in my tax bracket I'm a blue collar bow hunter and I look for these inexpensive options well me for a sheep tag you know you know, some of these sheep tags, they range from 1000 to $3,000. So it's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. It's a lot of money for me, but it's feasible. And so I figure that's my best opportunity at some of these real premium sheep hunts is to get my name in the hat. So I'm in raffles, I'm in drawings, and then I'm in all the state agencies in these sheep tags trying to draw a sheep tag. I uh, also apply for moose and goat in Montana, and I've been able to hunt goat, and I do apply for goat in um, another state as well but for me the important one sheep so i have my name in all those hats and then also uh ibex i've been dying to hunt ibex ibex in the floridian mountain range so i've got my app in for that as well so uh, it's just a matter of time before they pull my name out of the hat for one of these premium hunts so uh, super excited about that so that's kind of my application process and uh, a lot of map research and like I say I'm figuring out how I'm going to hunt that unit before I ever apply so I don't just draw a random unit I've never stepped foot in don't know anything about and then I got to try to figure out how to hunt it uh, that's just not my formula uh, so a ton of research this year getting in all my apps um, that's kind of on that research side this is a time of year where we can do a ton of that to figure out where we want to hunt and 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 get these tags and and line up these hunts and um you know it's this this new day and age and there's a lot of guys going for these tags nowadays and so you got to be creative um got to be creative in in where you hunt and where you're applying so you know hopefully you can end up lining up a couple hunts a year for these things so that's what i'm hoping to do um hopefully the draw gods are good to be this year uh so uh, you guys probably heard my last solo. It's been it's been a couple months since I've recorded one, but um, yeah, my my uh, workouts uh, and and running, uh, keeping with my weight training, which is really important for me and my back. Like I've told you guys, one thing I forgot to mention on the last podcast, and I've mentioned it before, but stretching is so important. It's so critical for me to stretch. It's not all about strength for me. It's about flexibility as well. Uh, so I'm really diligent with my stretching. Um, I've got a steamer that I use constantly, which there's so many health benefits to uh, steamers and saunas and things of that nature. And so I have one in my house. Uh, I actually had my elements burn out, so I just got them replaced and fixed. And man, that thing's cooking now. It's so hot in there. So great. I'm going to take one today. Uh, but I do a lot of stretching in there, and it, it warms up my muscles, and then I'm able to stretch. And um, I, you know... I'm not like the biggest fan of yoga. Like if I got to do yoga, I, um, 
I, I call it my man stretches. That makes me feel a little bit more manly. But I'll do classes with my wife and things, and it's it's good. We can spend time together and do stretching. And uh, I mean, I I don't like it. I dread it. Like I I like the feelings I get after I'm done. Like it's tough to make myself do it. It's just not. It's just not that physical, and it like, takes so much time, but I always feel better after I'm done. And what it does is it just gives me flexibility where then if I'm in an awkward position and I'm twisting or I'm lifting or I'm down low, I don't jerk out my back or I don't pull something out. And so um, I think flexibility is a huge component to overall health. And so, um, well, I stretch in that street, street in the uh, steamer like I told you guys, and then um, – uh, also, like at night, um, I found it it's a good time to stretch for me. It's like we relax and kind of unwind at night and uh, go hard all throughout the day. But then I've got this time where I sit down with my family or sit down with my wife, uh, you know, 7, 8 o'clock, something like that. And we'll sit down, we'll watch a show together. And I found this time is huge for me that I can sit on the carpet and I can stretch for a half an hour or an hour while I'm engaging with my family in there. And so that seems to work really good for me. And it's, it's tough. You just don't see that much improvement day to day, but it's consistency. It's doing it day in, day out. And then, you know, I really notice a difference in my flexibility and, and flexibility is strength. So, um, you don't you don't have to get your yoga pants on or anything like that or even have to go to a class like I pick up a lot of stretches uh, my wife Holly does these internet classes and so I can do those with her I've also been to some live classes and um, you know I, I can learn different stretches there I can learn different stretches through the computer uh, you know just like going on there and finding different stretches I mean you just I mean Google will tell you anything you guys know that uh, but I can find good stretches there and, um, and I just have a mix and match or a routine that I've come up with and I try to change it up and just try to get a good stretch throughout my body. And I think it's, uh, plays a big role, um, you know, in, in just longevity and, and also longevity in my running. Like, uh, man, I just have the, the best knees and joints that don't hurt. And, and I attribute a lot of that to the last 10 years of my stretching. So I definitely wanted to mention that to you guys. I haven't talked about that. Uh, the running side of things, uh, man, I've been super consistent here. And, um, you know, I, I like to run five to seven days a week, always get in my runs. Uh, but, you know, there's um, these, these runs, what, what I'm trying to do as well is my body's got so used to these runs day in, day out that I don't really blow up my legs or I'm not pushing my limits as much. And so like what I'm trying to do is mix in at least one, two days a week where I'm doing these long runs, these endurance runs where I'm going two plus hours. Uh, the other thing I'm doing is like just not getting comfortable in my running. Like, um, you know, it comes so easy for me, for me. And a lot of training is done at a conversation pace. And so you just run, it's real easy. I'm uh, not, you know, super out of breath or I'm, so I'm running hills and stuff, but I'm just running them at a pace that I can handle. And, um, I, I'm trying to change that a bit. I'm trying to put like more exertion on myself. I'm, I'm trying to really push my pace, uh, so I get like a bigger workout in a shorter amount of time. And so I've uh, really been working on my times lately and then mixing in one or two of these runs a week uh, where I grind, where I push myself, where I I do a ton of miles or a ton of elevation and really wear myself out. So trying to mix and match those. And like I say, I'm just always trying to take my training to to a higher level or to another level. 
Um, so I, so I've definitely been doing that on my running and, um, good consistency. And I just want to continue with that. And I want to mix in some really long ones as well. Um, some all dayers, some, uh, you know, run to the top of the Sphinx and back and, um, which is 5,000 feet of elevation gain and lost in one run. And, you know, takes me, uh, uh, six, seven hours, you know, so that, that's a great one for me. So I want to do that multiple times and just keep myself fit. Like, um, you know, that's the key to really enjoying these backcountry hunts too. The the better shape I'm in, just the better I can attack these things and the, the harder I can go and the better chance at success I have. And so, uh, yeah, just continuing to work on my physical fitness. For me, the running isn't the tough part. The, the weight training is. And I know it's opposite for a lot of guys. But for me, like I've got to make sure I'm on those weights. I've actually, uh, I don't know if you'd see it on the camera or not. I mean, you can't, but uh, gosh dang, I've got about 10 pounds on my frame, more so than I usually do. Um, so, you know, definitely this, this weight training, uh, sticking on some muscle and then just trying to teach this muscle endurance by putting on these good miles. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it, it's been good for me. So I'm really enjoying the training. Um you know, the, the, the hunt starts and ends, like how many times do you hear guys talk about, uh, you know, whatever it is, whatever professional athlete you listen to or whatever sport they're in, that it's 90% mental, like this whole hunting game, it's mental, man. It's like, um, having this mental edge, this mental fortitude, this, this, uh, always, you know, not to say that I always have a positive attitude, but I try to have a positive outlook and, um, I just try you try to keep my head in the game and I try to like take myself to the hunt and on that place and the challenges I'm going to face because it's it's real life it like it's always tougher than I think it's going to be on these hunts. So like I like I'm trying to prepare my mind for that and like like how do you how do you have mental toughness? Mental toughness is earned. Mental toughness is gained through you know, what you go through in life. Like you can't just have an easy cush life and have mental toughness. It doesn't work that way. Mental toughness is gained through uh, putting yourself through uh, trying times and coming out the other side of them. So the more of these experiences you can have, the more mentally sharp you can be. And, you know, I, I think that's like one of the biggest edges I have and why I'm consistently successful is my mental edge. Um, you know, first and foremost, I have this drive and this passion for Western hunting. I I love it with every fiber of my being. And so, like, I'm willing to put everything into that. Um, so, you know, I constantly have this drive. I'm constantly thinking about it. And there's nothing that's going to stand in the way of my goals. And, you know, I, I'm not going to reach them all the time because it's like this really difficult goals and endeavors that I put on myself. And failure is a prerequisite. But, you know, I'm not going to waver mentally. Like, I know what I want in life, and I know the satisfaction I get of being able to go, you know, so hard on these hunts and, and give it my all and then let the chips fall where they do. And so, you know, like, I've I've found my thing in life. I've found my passion. So, like, like for me, I think it all starts there with drive and wanting it. And, and wanting it delayed gratification. Like, um, you want it so bad that you're willing to delay gratification, you know, whatever that is, whatever day that is, like to, to reach my end goal. And so, you know, I set these goals for the season and what I want to accomplish. But then every day, 
you, you have to meet these goals and this criteria. So like I have a, a big goal that's for the season, but then every day I'm putting in the work to become better. Every day I'm doing something to become a better backcountry bow hunter. Every day I'm putting in the work and I'm paying my dues. Like I've got this bigger goal in front of me than, than just the day or just having fun. Like I, I know what I want and, and I'm going to continue to work towards it to get that delayed gratification. And that delayed gratification, uh, when you reach your goals and you reach that pinnacle of the mountain and, and you arrow that monster buck or that monster bull that you've worked the entire year for, or maybe your entire life for, like, um, I, I felt the payoff of that. And so I know that that's worth it and what I want in life. So I'm willing to do whatever it takes to in, improve at all facets to come into those, those hunts as well prepared as I can be. Um, so things that I'm doing for mental edge, you know, like I say, it starts with the cause. It starts with wanting it and, um, delayed gratification and putting in the work day in, day out. And, and we all know what we need to work on. We all know our weak points, whether it's, we need, you know, 10 pounds off our frame or take some weight off to be in better shape. Or if it's, we need the consistency of running and getting our body ready for this. Like we know what our weakest point is. Now we just need to work on it and make it better and improve it. But the, the mental edge, mental strength, um, it, it's gained through what you endure. So, you know, I talk about it all the time, how my running improves my mental edge. And it's like just making myself do it day in, day out, or, you know, like I talked about doing these long runs once or twice a week, like, you know, some of some of these long runs, you know, I'll I'll be eight, 10 miles back and I'll come to the edge of a canyon where I got to lose 2000 feet of elevation and I just drop down in there and just do it. And then and then I've got to get myself back up and out of there. And, and I'm, I'm relying on my mind to keep me going, to keep to, to, to keep me and get me out of there. And that, like, the the more you go through, like, the tougher your mind gets. And so, like, I have all these backcountry hunts that I can lean on and think about that I've been through where, you know, I've, I've had the chips down. I've, you know, I've been 20 miles from my truck and killed a buck. I've, you know, I've done all these difficult things, uh, grueling and trying things that have tested me. And, you know, we're capable of so much more than we ask of ourselves but I've asked a lot of myself it, it sells at different a lot of myself at different times. You know, whether it's a huge pack out, whether it's uh, a, a grinder of a 10, 12 day hunt. Uh, uh, you know, I've had every hurdle thrown at me from weather and big snowstorms to hunting pressure to not finding animals. Whatever it is, you have to find a way to, to overcome it, adapt and overcome. And and that's that mental edge. And, and so, you know, you want to hone this in the off season. You want to improve it wherever you can. And so you improve it through discipline. You, you improve it through trying times. Uh, uh, you improve it. Um, you, you improve it through uh, confidence in your skill set of knowing that you can accomplish your goals. Um, so, so it's real tough to like, it, it's slippery to get your hands on mental toughness. Uh, but basically put yourself in tough situations and make your way through it. And that will give you mental toughness and, and think about it, think of how you can sharpen yourself, how you can sharpen your mental toughness. I mean, I, when I was, um, you know, when I really decided that I wanted to be good at backcountry bow hunting, like, I mean, you know, I ran a little for wrestling and I ran a little for training, but I, I mean, I signed up for marathons. I signed up for ultra marathons, uh, 
I took myself out of my comfort level and I need to continue to do that now is take myself out of my comfort level whenever I get the chance as much as I can because that's what's going to sharpen you. That's what's going to give you that mental edge. So put yourself in some tough situations, you know. Um, that That's what's going to sharpen it the most. Gosh, I, I got to get into bears here. I get uh, ranting and talking and pretty soon the time flies by. We're at 35 minutes already, but... Um, you know, I know I talk about this a lot on my on on my solo podcast, and so I'm trying to hit different points. Um, but you know, this is what's pertinent to me. This is what what it takes to live that bow hunting 365 lifestyle. This is what I think about nonstop. And I mean, I, I'm just an average guy that fell in love with bow hunting and and wanted to set these goals and succeed at them, and have worked really hard to improve my skill set. But you know, nobody saw that first 10 years of entering marathons and ultra marathons, shooting every single day, you know, doing all the little things. Nobody was watching. And so I put in all this work to get to where I'm at now. And now I have this good base, this solid skill set. So, I mean, that's why you see animals consistently come across my feed. It, you know, it, it's not that I'm the luckiest guy on planet Earth. I mean, I'm lucky for the life I've created. Don't get me wrong. And a little luck never hurt a bow hunter. But, uh, you know, I, I truly believe it's like building this this base, this hunting skill set, putting in all these years, putting in all this effort to get to where I'm at, to where now I can show up on one of these hunts and I got a real good chance that I'm going to arrow a trophy in there. And, and I think that's what we all need to work on is just improving our skill set. And it's one of the beautiful things about backcountry bow hunting is you never stop improving and you never stop learning. And and um, so, you know, never stop uh, improving. You know, that's a powerful statement that you can... You know, so far, I haven't found the ceiling or the limit to it. Like, I don't even know what's possible in this sport. You know, it's like, uh, I, I, don't, I don't even know what I'm capable of, but I know I dream big and I've got huge plans for this season. And so I've got to put in the work right now. You know, I'm continually trying to improve and evolve, improve and evolve my skill set to give me the best chance on these hunts. And, you know, it's... There's a lot of guys out there that are going hard now. You know, the secret's out about backcountry bow hunting. And so, you know, there's a lot of competition out there. How are you going to separate yourself from the competition? Um, so, you know, those are some of the things I think about. Um, as well as, you know, like trying to get your life in order for hunting season. That's a big portion of my preparation is making sure that I'm doing everything possible to be there for my family and be a good husband, good father, uh, put in my time, you know, take care of the family and, and let everybody know that, you know, hunting, hunting season's coming and I'm, I'm going to be gone, but I have the support of them. But, you know, not only that, it's like um, how you do one thing in life is how you do everything. And uh, I want to be at my very best, not only for bow hunting, but for my family and also for my work. And so, you know, I've been able to really get a handle of my work and, and make sure uh, that I'm doing my absolute best for, for my clients because really that's how the, I make the bulk of my living. And so, you know, I need to make sure Barney Construction's running on all cylinders and, and that I'm doing what I'm saying I'm going to do and I'm following through with what I say I'm going to do and I'm doing the best job for these clients. Like every day I wake up and think of what I can do on these job sites to make it better, uh, how I can, um, you know, help my employees making sure uh, things are ordered, delivered on time, showing up on the job site each and every day to walk through 
through things, uh, showing up with my nail bags on and, and, and working on these, you know, the trust days or standing wall days or, you know, whenever they need an extra hand or, you know, when they really need a leader there on the, on the job site. And so like, uh, you know, that's a big priority in my life. So I've really been working hard at that. And I've been working hard on my, um, at, at proficiency and, and at, um, like just making sure, you know, I'm fortunate that I built this business and I built this podcast and this, this life that I have, but, um, you know, to have this free time, you know, to really enjoy my free time hunting, I've got to have all my responsibilities taken care of. And so, you know, I'm hustling on the job site right now, you know, and with the jobs I have to make sure I can do everything in my power to make them go smoothly and make them go well and continue to carry this rep- reputation that I built for Barney Construction. So it's super important to me. So um, I've, I've got good at like, um, I'm, I'm really getting efficient with my time in the mornings, uh, and, and two, you know, I'm lucky I get a lot of free time. If I can, you know, put my nose down to the grindstone and get things done from 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. or whatever, like I can make time for my run then in the afternoon or if I'm on the job site, uh, you know, and I work hard for a couple days, like, uh, I, I, I can, I can skip a day or, you know, like I've got so much, you know, I've got bear season on the horizon and then, um, it's great fly fishing right now. And so if, if I just put my nose down and get my work done, I can get it done in a shorter amount of time and then have more time to myself to enjoy the things I love to do. So I just really been attacking my life and, and my responsibilities and making sure I'm doing everything in my power, uh, to, to have things roll smoothly. Cause I know that equals a good hunting season in the end. Uh, so I'm definitely doing that right now. Um, okay, we got to get into bears here. It's about 40 minutes, but I got one more thing I want to go over. Uh, I want to go over, um, shooting and what I'm working on with my shooting, because it's not just throwing a bunch of arrows down range. Like I'm really trying to improve my shooting skill set. Uh, so I've talked about it, you know, putting pressure on yourself, shooting in front of people, shooting leagues and tournaments and like that. Uh, the sponsorship for today's show, uh, mountain archery fest. I don't think there's a better, event that you could go do to prepare you for um, those backcountry hunts. So I'm going to make sure I get in my 3D shoots this year. Uh, I've been shooting a bunch of uh, indoor Vegas rounds, which really improves, uh, you know, my technical skill set. You know, it's 20 yards and it's 30 arrows of putting a hole in a dime-sized bullseye, you know, and and you have to execute on every single shot. So uh, just really working on... um, arrows per day, uh, getting a lot of arrows right now. Um, but, but intentional practice, uh, of quality execution. Uh, my bow's absolutely dialed right now. My equipment's all dialed. So it's just, um, putting those arrows through my bow, putting pressure on myself. Uh, and, and then I'm doing more of that visualization, uh, at night, shutting my eyes and visualizing that big buck walking out and visualizing, executing my shot, uh, you know, I've got these steps that I use to execute a quality shot, and I go through those constantly. I uh, also have a piece of string that's at my draw length with my release that I can carry around. When I'm not shooting arrows, I'm shooting that thing. I'm visualizing making a good shot. Uh, I want to put myself in the moment as many times as I can to execute a quality shot. So definitely working on that. And then, um, let's see, the little things. Oh, yeah. Um the details get me a lot. Like, usually now, if I have a miss, it's like the details. And so, 
you know, I'm really walking myself through these details uh, to make sure I don't force an arrow, to make sure I get a good range, to make sure I dial my sight, to make sure, um, you know, I, um, I, I'm patient and not trying to force an arrow. I'm waiting for the right angle on that animal. So these are kind of the things, you know, and, and, and it's not so much practice as you can't really practice those real life situations, but it's, it is visualizing these and it's thinking about them. And so when I'm walking myself through these visualizations, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm telling myself, okay, make sure you got a good range, make sure there's no sticks in the way. And I visualize like when you're close to those animals, you just so want to get a shot. You're just looking for your window to execute an arrow. And so I'm trying to put myself into those situations and feel those emotions of how bad I want that big buck, how bad I want that big bull, and, and just having to wait and waiting for the right moment to to execute and close that deal on that animal. And so just trying to pay attention to the details and think about those things so I can be um, – so I can – you know, be ready for, for my encounter. So I just got to pause it real quick here, guys. Okay. Back. All right. So, uh, first time video in this, I just found out that my Sony, uh, a7 R shuts off after 30 minutes. <laughs> so, uh, There'll be, uh, I don't know how I'm going to do this yet. I thought about going back and just re-recording, but such like a great conversation we were having there that I don't want to erase that. So anyways, just bear with me on this video side of things. I will get this figured out. And so on this video, we'll probably have a video component for the first 30 minutes and the last 30 minutes. And then, um, you know, my idea is to throw some pictures in there in the middle. So... Um, I, I will get it figured out here, uh, how to record these. Um, I, I just think, um, it's so fun to be able to, to watch them live and, and watch the person speak. And so I, I want to get better at it, but, uh, for now I've got a little gap in the middle where I, I don't have any video. So, uh, I, I'm back, uh, gosh, I, I drank way too much coffee this morning. So, uh, had to go up, use the restroom and then check the camera. I'm like, oh man, the camera's off. It's like, uh technical difficulties but uh that's what you've come to expect from brian barney so it just is what it is uh but uh yeah it's such a great conversation on like what i'm working on now and i thought man i just don't um that mental toughness side in the shooting and visualization i think that's all important stuff so uh we'll just edit it into the video and you'll have a video component for the start and the beginning so or uh for the start and the end okay so getting into bears Man, um, I'm really looking forward to bear hunting here this spring. It's just this awesome season, and it's this awesome time to be in the woods. Uh, like, um, you know, the, the fall seasons are great, but we have so much going on, and we talked about these different tags and applying for these different hunts, and, you know, so I'm pretty much going from one hunt to the next. But bear season's really nice where I get a couple months where I've got one tag. Like, that is my focus, is to shoot a mature bear. And, um, you know, I hunted bears when I first got to Montana, a little bit with a rifle. And then um, what really got hooked is after I committed to a bow and arrow, I started looking at 
it, trying to arrow a black bear with my bow and trying to do it spot and stock, which is the only way that's allowed here in Montana. I know you can bait in other places, and I'm not against that. It's great management for when you get um, thicker cover where you don't see as many bears. But for me, it's just spot and stock's the ultimate. It's how I hunt everything. You know, I do whole podcasts on how I spot and stock elk that you can call in, you know. So that is my game. It's what I love and what I enjoy to play. So Montana's perfect for me. So the first part of bear hunting is the spot. So, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you know, they're they're a predator and, and there's just um, there's less of them than ungulate populations. Um, the good thing is, is in spring, their numbers are condensed to a certain elevation. Um, so, you know, bear hunting, the first challenge is finding bears. And this is where guys get frustrated and and give up or give in you know so bears like um you know first maybe we'll talk about the different seasons so i classify it in three different seasons early mid and late early season early season is when the bears are just coming outside their den and they're going to wander around a bit they're going to feed on any green grass they can see but they're going to return to their den and this time period seems to last for like uh, a week or two when these bears come out and so in the early season like hunting bears is all about finding them at an elevation and so uh, early season they're going to be lower elevations and so I tend to focus uh, you know five to seven thousand feet in elevation and then um, you know in this early season they're just coming outside the dens like uh, they're not on the green grass or the green parks yet it seems like I find them in rough and rugged country I find them where there's a lot of rock cliffs and super steep terrain like I've seen bears go up faces that look like you know goats well goats do live on it I glass goats and sheep on the same face and these bears are living on it and they can just crawl straight up cliffs uh, but they like to den in these areas and um so the early season, it's important not to burn yourself out on this early season. Uh, too many guys go way too hard in the first two weeks of the season, don't see any bears, get discouraged, then don't hunt when the bear hunting gets really good. So it's really important to remember this. Now, I, I've got my early season game dialed, but I too will not go too hard in this early season because I know I'll burn myself out. So I focus on like some of these denning locations, rough and rugged, rocky country, I get super vantage points like bear hunting spot and stock is all about great vantage points. But, you know, sometimes setting up where you can see the entire world, it's not advantageous because, I mean, it, it is. You want to find these master vantage points, but it's a mix and match of these big master vantage points and also hiking way up a canyon in this secluded canyon that may only have four or five pocket parks in it. But they're, it's really secluded and the bears like it and they show up in those pocket parks. So it's really a mix and match. And, you know, you can top slopes a hillside like everybody wants to know which slope to look on. And I think it's different for wherever you hunt. Like here where I'm at in southwest Montana, we have fairly open mountain ranges. And so I do the best glassing into north slopes, looking into pocket parks, bottom meadows, little green lush uh, 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 parks like that sit on north-facing slopes. The south sides are big sagebrush open faces with sparse cover, and I do catch bears on the south side, but I catch way more on the north sides of things. So here where I'm at, I focus on the north side. But the minute I drive to western Montana and they have more cover, you know, I get out there, you can't glass a north side. There's no parks in it. The only thing that has openings are the south facers, and then the south facers have these 
these these open parks are sparsely open cover and trees and grass and so when i go to western montana i'm glassing mostly south slopes so it it really is just you know it's like any of this hunting you just get a feel for it and the more bears you see the more experience you get the better you get at finding them but bears love to be secluded uh, they love not to be bothered, not to be seen, not to know that they're there. And so, um, you know, I, I try to look at all different slopes, but you're just trying to look for the right bear country. Um, you know, I mentioned pocket parks. They love little pocket parks. And, and even if you see a big meadow, very rarely do you see a bear in the middle of that meadow. That bear will just work that edge of that meadow. It's always on the edges. He's always really close to cover. And um, so those are the spots that I'm that I'm trying to glass or trying to find to locate bears. Um, I, I do a lot of master vantage point sits. And, and sometimes if I've got the best vantage point, I'll sit there and I'll have to make myself sit there, but I'll sit there for three or four hours. And and sometimes I don't see a bear for three hours and I'm getting ready to leave and all of a sudden one pops out. So, like, I really believe in these master vantage points. I also have ADD, so it's tough for me to sit in one place, not see bears for an hour or two. I feel like I need to move. So what I'll do is I'll work a network of spots. I'll have three or four different vantage points that work up a canyon. Then then I can sit in a spot for an hour or two and go check another spot for an hour or two. And and while I'm moving in between spots, I'm also hunting, and it's it's rare to still hunt into a bear, but it happens about once a season for me where I'm just moving through good bear country because they can also feed in that timber grass as well. So, um, see, I, I'm getting off my point. So the early season, uh, they're just coming outside their dens, more rough and rugged country. The middle season is really where I do my best work. This is where the meadows green up and these bears... Uh, they really move towards the feed. And, and basically, you can look on a slope in the most neon green meadow that you see. That's probably where that bear is going to come out at. They, they just have this sense about finding the greenest, best feed, the luscious feed. So you're really looking for that neon green or chartreuse color. Um, the middle season, they get keyed onto this food and also, you know, all the nutrition or the nutrients dense food is like in this meadow grass. So they come out to the meadows. So that's why I do the best during this season. As it gets into the later season, they get into the rut. They can be moving country and also the grass starts to grow up in the timber so they can spend more time in the timber and not have to come to the meadow grass. So I, I like hunting all the seasons. It's just, you have to, uh, you have to adapt your tactics to that season. So it's important to know that going into it. So that middle season is a really good one for me. Uh, also, when you see a bear in a meadow, like he's usually living there. There's usually multiple piles of scat and, and he's living in and around that meadow. So it's just a matter of time before you catch him. And it's important when you're moving from spot to spot. Um, you know, I use a lot of skitter roads, uh, you know, I walk through sparse timber, but to pay attention to where you see sign, because where you see sign, you know, that bear could be living right in that location. I know multiple times I've worked through a meadow and found bear scat, and then I find a vantage point for that meadow and end up finding that bear. I killed one two years ago in a spot that I knew he was living in because I saw a sign when I walked through there. So uh, paying attention to the sign, skitter roads are the highways for bears uh, in the springtime. The the, the same way meadow grass comes up and, and those pocket parks are secluded, these skitter roads, they cut their way through timber 
and then they get more light and they green up and they go neon green on the sides of these roads and, and bears take the easiest way through country and roads are just a perfect way for that they feel secluded they eat on them but what's tough being a spot and stock hunter is you can't always find a vantage point that looks over skitter roads so your way to hunt these is just hunt your way in and out of your vantage points pay attention to the sign and every once in a while you catch a bear moving through there um I, I, you really need to focus on elevation. Where you see a bear in the fall is not where you see him in the spring. So bears will follow the green wave up. So the green wave is as that snow starts to melt, uh, it, it, it puts off moisture off that snow melt that goes right into the soil and grows the greenest grass. And these bears like to be right on that snow melt. So we, we call it following the green wave, but... Uh, you see a bear, mark the elevation of where you saw it, and then transpose that elevation to other locations and, and drainages around there, and you'll probably turn up more bears. Um, I hunt from 5 to about 8,000 feet and during bear season, and 8,000 feet or 82, 8,300 is usually about where they top out. My season closes June 15th, and that's, you know, the bears are going to be up high there in that 75 to 83, somewhere in that. But uh, just work your way up, pay attention to where the food is, where the snow melt is, and when you're doing your e-scouting, scout at these elevations. Uh, elevation is key in the springtime, so you you you, you got a key into that. Um, so uh, uh, finding these secluded places where these bears like, um, and and then just getting a vantage point or having multiple vantage points, uh, time of day. Uh, uh, afternoon evening is by far the best time to hunt bears. Now you can find them all times of the day, and it again this depends on the season. Early season, it's cold, it's springtime. Uh, it's rainy, it's snowy, and so sunny days are, are better to find bears in the, you know, like I love rainy cold days, don't get me wrong, but in the early spring, you get a warm sunny day and those bears are out warming up, but you take it towards the end of the season in a sunny hot day, <coughs> excuse me, where it's going to be 80 degrees, those bears won't come out until the last hour of light because they're too hot. So it really depends on the season. Also, late in the season, you get one of those rainy, cold days. Like, it's a great day to see bears out all times of the day. So it, it really changes throughout the season uh, of what times they like to be out and um, uh, when they're going to be most active. And so keep that in mind. Uh, but I always, like, a, as a betting man, afternoon and evening on bears. And sometimes, like, it's not that last hour of light like, I do best about, like, 4 to 6 o'clock is a really good time frame for me. But, like I say, if it's hot and 80 degrees and it's late in the season, late May, late June, then I'm going to shift that time to 6 to 8 at night. It's going to be later when they come out because uh, the mountains start to cool off. And so uh, I'm really paying attention to, to the conditions, the temperatures, and then trying to call it that way. I don't do too good on bears in the morning. Uh, usually if I find them in the morning, it's coming out like later morning, 9, 10, 11 o'clock. The only reason I'll break that rule is if I put, I see a bear that night and it gets dark on me, then I'll show up at that spot at first light and maybe try to catch that bear moving somewhere. So I will do that. But for the most part, like afternoon and evenings are my money. Like those are, those are just a, a you know, if I was a betting man, that's when I'd go. Uh, earlier in the season, I'll do more of the middle of the day sessions too, like, um, you know, 10 to 2 or noon to 4 or something like that too. Um, I'm not afraid to mix and match that. But uh, 
you know, it's like if you go out too early and you put all this six, seven hours of glassing and different vantage points and you don't see anything, like you'd get discouraged. So you're not at your best for those last two hours or those last three hours when bears are really out. So, I, you know, I just try to time it to where I'm hunting afternoons and evenings for these bears and it seems to work really good for me. Uh, we talked about uh, weather a bit, sunny days versus uh, rainy days. Rainy days are great for bears, especially as we get into May. Uh, rainy, uh, foggy days, like, gosh, I see a lot of bears during that. And and bears, so then the, the next part of your spot and stock is like, you know, once you find one is identifying it. And so you want to... Uh, you want to be chasing big boars, mature boars, and, you know, black bears aren't as big as everybody thinks they are. Like, a big blackfoot boar will measure six foot head to tail, and, um, you know, he'll also have a six foot wings, wingspan, but, you know, a five and a half foot boar is a good boar that can be six, seven, eight years old, still have a... Uh, a five and a half or can have a 17, 18 inch skull on them. So, you know, that makes Pope and Young, that's a good respectable bear. But judging these bears can be difficult. Um, you know, I, I find that the best tell is the ears. Uh, if he's got big ears, it's a small bear. Small ears, it's a big bear. Small ears on the side of his head and a crease, he's a really good bear. And, um, you know, it just takes looking after these things and watching a lot of them. But, you know, the main thing is to make sure that it doesn't have cubs. And so you want to watch that bear long enough to see what his behaviors are and what he's doing, but also make sure that there's no cubs with him. And, you know, that's the best tell. And I've, I've been tricked on sows, too. Great big chocolate sow that I think's a boar. And five minutes later, ten minutes later, I spot a cub and go, oh, man, that's a sow. And I've had pretty good luck. I've only harvested mature boars, but um, and some of that is, a, is luck as well. Uh, but really sit there and watch them and identify your target. And then you, you, you can just tell a big boar, you know, they don't, they're not all roly poly fat belly dragging the ground. Like bear have different characteristics due to their genetics as well. Some bears are long and lengthy, but they're a giant six and a half, seven foot bear. Um, sometimes they're long and lengthy and, and they're a five foot bear. They're just young and haven't grown into it. So it really takes looking at them, but the boars are going to have thicker arms, thicker forearms. And if you draw a line to the, the two ears and down to the nose, so draw a line in between the ears and then from each ear down to the nose, if that's a really long triangle, that's a sow or, um, you know, young bear, usually a sow is what that means with a long head like that, or, or it could be an immature bear as well. But usually the boars have a boar head. But if, if you can draw a line between the ears down to the nose and it makes a right triangle where the distance between the ears is the same distance between the ear and the nose, that's usually a boar and a good sign. Uh, boars have bigger chest um, you know, sows have a, a bigger hind end and really you have to trust your instincts too. And in that ears is the best tell, but you also have to be with inside 800 or a thousand yards to tell. And man, some of these bears get tricky. They'll have the right proportions and big belly and look like a big bear. And you get over there and they're a five footer, which is good characteristics. So you really have to look over these bears, but basically when you see a big bear, you know it. They just have a swagger to them, big front end, big head, small ears. and um, But you just have to look at a lot of bears and, and really work at it. Uh, look at pictures of bears, mounts of bears, uh, bears in general. You know, when you see a sow and you see her with cubs, look over her characteristics. What identifies her as a sow? And so, like, I, I think that's a good, important piece of it as well.
So identify that bear, and then and then you're trying to plan a stock. Uh, bears are all about the wind. Um, man, if, if you get busted by a bear, he probably winded you. Like, uh, they are fairly nearsighted. They don't see really well, but they do pick up on movement. So if they catch you walking, you're busted. But I've had bears that are in a wide open meadow that I'm walking in the wide open meadow, and I can see their heads down feeding and I'm moving, and any time they pick up their head, I freeze, and they don't see me. So you can get away with a lot with bears, but the wind's got to be right. And you got to get good at just reading those mountain winds, reading the thermals, directionals, trying to figure out what the wind's doing over there and trusting it. Um, so the, the wind is a huge part of bear hunting. But this is one of the beautiful things that, that bears, you know, they can smell seven times what a bloodhound can. Uh, they can tell time by their nose. They're so good with their nose that it makes us as hunters be really good with the wind. And this this wind work that we're getting in this spring, working on these bears and our stocks and our approach, you know, this this all transposes and and plays, you know, for mule deer season or for elk season, you know. And one of the reasons, you know, I get the wind right a lot on these elk and deer. So um, the wind, the wind is number one on these bears on your approach. It's got to be coming with a good wind. Uh, bears, I look at them in the meadow they're in and I think, can I get to them before they put away? And if the answer is yes, then I'm all in, you know, half the time I'm jogging to try to get close and then I'll slow down my stock. Uh, if I can't make it to them before I think they're going to get put away, then what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to close the distance and, and I'm going to try to set up in striking distance on a vantage point where then, you know, I can, um, I, I can keep an eye. So this bear is going to go into the timber and he's going to bed for an hour or two. And then he's going to come back out and feed the edges and feed this meadow again. So basically, I'm going to try to get close in striking distance and stage up with a good wind and then wait for this bear to come back out and then try to kill him in there. Um, so so that's kind of my move for these for these bears trying to get on them. When I'm when I'm stalking, they do pay attention to sound. They will bust from sound like a whitetail will you. Man, I had this giant chocolate um, that I had snuck. I mean, I had to cross down, cross the river on a rubber raft, or I think at that point it was a, uh, an inner tube and uh, my waders and kick my way across. I, I, um, it, it was a little dangerous. Now I've got a little rubber raft that's a little less dangerous, but crossed the river, climbed a thousand feet on the other side, came around, bear was right there, just down below me. And I was just trying to get around a tree to get a shot at this bear. And I stepped on a, a twig and it snapped. And right there, this bear swung his head up and looked in my direction and I froze. And then all of a sudden he turned his head slow and took off and he was gone. This whole huge stock trying to get and I busted it, snapping a stick. So uh, you definitely got to be quiet moving in. I mean, the good thing is, is um, springtime conditions are really good for uh, quiet, for being quiet, for ground noise, things of that nature. So. Uh, tends to be pretty good stocking conditions for these things, but watch your sound, watch your approach, uh, freeze when they look up, uh, you can get away with a lot with their vision, uh, and, and wind is number one, but man, these are the most thrilling encounters. Like us as bow hunters, this is our entry level into dangerous game. Like we get to hunt this year in, year out. And when you're chasing these bears, it's just this different excitement, different thrill. And, and you have got to be money on your shot. A bear's vitals are a third the size of a whitetail. So they're fairly small vitals. Um, you know, I try to put them right behind the shoulder and a couple inches back, uh, but you got to hit them precise. And I like a big expandable for these things because I want to open them up and I want them to bleed. It's not that tough to get a pass through on a bear. 
so you want a big cutting diameter to open them up to get a good blood trail. You want an entrance and an exit. So I shoot expandables at them, but um, yeah, you, you just uh, to keep your cool on dangerous game and on a bear is the ultimate test, you know, and um, they're the ultimate trophy for me. I truly believe a spot and stock bear in Montana uh, is one of the toughest animals to harvest. And, and um, so I, I work hard each and every year, but I mean, I've had years where I put uh, 50 plus days into hunting these bears to get my opportunity or sometimes even to eat my tag. You know, I, I put a bunch of time into these bears. So it's just time in the woods, time on these vantage points, you know, and I know not all of us can go 50 days. I'm fortunate where afternoon evenings are the best so I can finish a day of work and be bear hunting. You know, I live close to where I like to bear hunt. So uh, it, it works really well for me, but uh, man, it's a grind. These things are not easy with a bow and arrow. Um, and, and then to set your sights at a at a really big mature boar, uh, like I've been doing the last couple years, you know, and and trying to get out of the medium bears and trying to really find that next level older mature bear. And and last year I harvested a really good one. I was really psyched with that bear, great big chocolate. Um, but but you know, to harvest a good bear with your bow and arrow. And you're up against it. You've taken on the ultimate challenge for sure. But uh, you put in your time, you learn about the species, you learn where they like, learn how to stalk them, and, and you really develop this approach for black bears that, that makes it so fun. And there's not as many guys out. I mean, sure, all hunting's getting more popular, but I get to hunt the most popular mountain ranges, the coolest spot, coolest vantage points to find these bears, and, and most of the time with very little pressure. Uh, so it's a really fun season for me. It's a fun challenge and fun test. And uh, I just can't wait to cut these legs loose on season. So, um, But I just wanted to give you guys some information going into bear season that you guys could digest and then uh, take into season and hit the ground running. So hopefully you guys can turn up some bears and get some of these thrilling talks that uh, uh, or thrilling stocks that I'm telling you about. So well, right on. That's a wrap. I think um, we, we did an hour. Uh, working on the video component of things again, but we'll get that dialed in. And, um, man, I just appreciate the support from you guys. Uh, appreciate the support to our sponsors. Uh, again, our sponsor for today's show was Mountain Archery Fest, putting on great events. You can go check them out at uh, mountainarcherifest.com. And uh, check out everything we do at Eastman's. We put out a, a ton of great content, uh, both magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal, uh, Beyond the Grid, which is our internet TV show. Search Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube uh, and also the show on the Outdoor Channel. So, man, I just love being a part of this company. And, um, man, I love putting out these podcasts, love sitting down and doing a solo. And, uh, you know, I think this video element will add to it as well. So um, hopefully you guys like that. And yeah, I just appreciate all the support and everything you guys do and support for me. And, um, man, let's get after it. Let's have a great 2021. Let's all have our best year to date. Uh, so it, it's out there for the taking. There's tons of opportunity out there for us guys. Uh, so it's just chasing it down and finding these, these opportunities and these adventures and then giving our all and, uh, being at our very best, but such a fun endeavor. And I know you guys love it like I do. So, uh, thanks again for all the support and, uh, check in with you guys next week. <laughs>